0: So why don't you sit down and listen to a dope podcast during lunch, dinner, or breakfast? Brad Williams and Adam Ray are here for you any time of the day. So come on and treat yourself right. It's About Last Night. Hey guys, Adam Ray here for the About Last Night podcast. And uh, today's a special uh, episode, uh, and uh, a somber one, uh, for sure. Um, Mitzi Shore, the uh, legendary owner-creator of the Comedy Store on Sunset Boulevard, the world-famous comedy store that has created, established, and honed the comedy voices of the likes of Richard Pryor, George Carlin, Jim Carrey, Jay Leno, Howie Mandel... Um, Bob Saget, Roseanne Barr, uh, David Letterman, uh, Dave Chappelle, uh, Chris Rock. Um, I mean, just so many. Robin Williams, uh, Louis Anderson, um, Ellen DeGeneres. Just so many comedians made the comedy store their home. And and that rings true today. I mean, you, you think about the amount of people that, that hang out there and spend time there and that work there. Uh, I worked there for three years answering phones and, and shit. When I was trying to find my way post-college, that, that became the way people uh, describe it, a, a home away from home, you know, like a place where you, you felt safe. You had a, a community of friends and a, a purpose, uh, and it definitely took a minute to to get that you know the comic store is very intimidating, and I hear from young comics all the time uh and even uh older comics that are just new to town that are aren't familiar with being around there they just they feel like it's you know it's got this prestigious aura to it that uh you want to be a part of and and when you're not you you try to do anything just to be around that energy you know and that's that's what I did i mean when I graduated in two thousand five and was in this limbo period of not doing stand up for two years, and then in two thousand seven, deciding, all right, I'm going to go away from sketch and improv and really commit to stand up. The comedy store is where I spent all my time, and really felt like that was a place that I could hone uh, whatever it was I was <laughs> trying to hone and figure out. Which is again one of the the huge benefits of the comedy store the the, um, the just the vibe that surrounds that place of of being such a, a safe haven for. You know, uh, comics and artists, and just whatever you want to do. I mean, look at the amounts of people. Like Robin Williams, so different from um, Arsenio Hall, so different from Sam Kinison, so different from you know Whoopi Goldberg. Which, by the way, I just read this story that the belly room uh, was created by Mitzi uh, because she felt bad that that female comics had to follow all these dirty, filthy male comics doing dick jokes. Um, it was Byron Allen, uh, I guess, who, who uh, was quoted uh, saying that Mitzi said to him, I need to clean out the attic. Uh, and Byron Allen said there were rats and roaches, and I was like, what do you want me to do? And she said, all these guy comics are so dirty and filthy, and all they do is a bunch of dick jokes. Not like you, Byron. You're a nice guy. I'm cleaning out the attic and making a nice lounge and putting all my female comics up. They're having a hard time following these guys with their dick jokes. They're coming on stage and having nervous breakdowns. And that's how the belly room was formed, like that fifty, seventy seat room that that was basically giving a platform to uh, you know, the rising um, female voices in comedy. Um, you know, Elaine Boozler, Whoopi Goldberg, Ellen DeGeneres, Sandra Bernhard, which is just another thing that you're like, God, she just thought outside the box and was just so generous and and trying to, you know, put people in a position to succeed, but just giving opportunities, you know, like obviously I think there's a a difference between leading somebody to, to the promised land and, and showing them one of the paths, you know, and, uh, and Mitzi just was just so selfless as far as taking care of people and, and giving them, you know, a home to, uh, to try to figure out who they are. And uh, I mean, Jesus, Jay Leno and Dave Letterman being there nightly before they got their respective talk shows. Robin Williams was there I think nights before he booked Mork and Mindy. Uh I think he even showcased for it there. I mean there's so many of these like stories that are rumored and and uh you know <laughs> probably true because there was one spot for this. You know, Gary Shanling was was there all the time. His first spot was at the comedy store. Which um, Judd Apatow got footage of, and and was in the Zen Diaries of of Gary Shandling, uh the HBO series he just came out with, which, you know, uh, highlights so much of his journey at the at the Comedy Store in Los Angeles, which is pretty amazing. Just you know, another example of how many people came through and were uh, touched by by Mitzi's uh, gifts. You know, um, I-, I can't help but think too you know, obviously like the, the mother of comedy and it was outside the comedy store marquee, um, which was really sweet. It says, good night, our godmother, we will love you forever. Um, which is so sweet and appropriate, you know, And, and the improv and the laugh factory also should be recognized, gave tributes, uh, on their marquees to Mitzi, which, you know, is a big deal because, you know, there's obviously so much competition between businesses and and comedy clubs, obviously. And, and for them to, to step back and be like, you know, she single-handedly was responsible for giving us so much joy and laughter and, and helping to hone the careers and lives of so many incredible talents that the other clubs got to benefit from, you know? And uh, a lot of these comics did work at other clubs, but they, Called the comedy store their home, you know, and and, and Mitzi was their their comedy mom. Uh, I can't help but but feel deeply uh, empathetic for for Polly too. Polly Shore, obviously, his I was his mom, you know, and and aside from everything she's done for comics and for the world of comedy, you know, she was a mom. I was Polly's mom, so it's your. I know he's probably grieving um, the loss of of for, you know just and understanding everything she did. I mean, he grew up around Arsenio Hall, Kinnison, like, Louie Letterman. These guys were, like, almost like babysitters to Pauly, he says, and, like, grew up in the comedy clubs, like, just being around that so much, which, like, Pauly had an unbelievable run and is still touring and very funny, and, like, like that is, on top of, like, she raised a hilarious son, and, you know, he loves her to to death, and, and the way he speaks about her, it's like, you know, for her to, to be that involved and attentive to all these people who aren't her kids and then and then to Polly as well. And uh it's just incredible, but you know, he at the core of it he, he lost his mom and, and I think I don't I hope that's not lost on people that, you know, there's that relationship to and all of this. Um But it's it's crazy. I mean I I I, I wanted to podcast about it because I just it was affecting me so much and, and I was on, on a flight and I just couldn't help but like just think about how, uh, you know, a, a piece of the store I feel like obviously is is missing now. But uh, is, you know, being held up and, and honored with so many, I mean, the amount of people that posted uh, honoring Mitzi or, or with, you know, tweets or quotes or things, you know. Mark Maron said, Mitzi Shore made an indelible mark on comedy and my brain. I guess she said that Mitzi said to him, you're a poet. You should wear a scarf on stage, which, you know, it's so funny that she had such, <laughs> you know, uh, strong sensibilities and, and, uh, you know, tastes and, and the things that she would pick out the, the first time I showcased for Mitzi, uh, the only time actually I got to, you know, which is, I feel very fortunate that I even got to go up in front of her and get, get feedback, um, was, uh, I believe it was 2010 I was about three years in and uh she was sitting in the back uh, with the booker at the time Tommy and and he brought me back over and he goes uh Mitzi this is Adam and he just went up and and she and I was wearing a backwards hat all the time you know it was just a very I don't know I thought it fit my style like conversational kind of fratty and bro-y but um you know other comics had had said you know don't wear the hat and whatnot and and I was just like, Yeah, you don't know what you're talking about and then I get off stage and I go up to Mitzi and and I go, Hey Mitzi, so nice to meet you. Um what'd you what'd you think? And she goes, Why do you wear the hat? And I was like, Oh, I um I I don't I don't know. I, I mean, she goes, You don't know? And I was like, Well I mean I do I like it. She goes, You're better without it And that was it. <laughs> and I never uh or a hat on stage um, in the comedy store for a long time after that. Obviously, you know, I think once I felt a little more honed in on who I was and and my voice on stage, I, I felt comfortable uh, to do that. But, but that resonated hard. I was just like, Jesus, like the way she said it, it carried so much weight. And I, I could tell she just meant the fuck out of what she was saying. And, uh, and she said something, too. It's like she still had, um, you know, she was pretty cognizant and at, at that time and and aware of what she was saying. And, and Tommy, too, was good about, you know, filtering uh, to you, like, what she was saying and, and you know, kind of translating if if it was a, a shorter piece of advice than you'd hoped for. But, man, that was crazy. And, and just to be around her when she would sit in the back of the OR and watch. And I was there one night when she watched Robin Williams, which was fucking crazy because it's like, you know, she'd watch this guy and his heyday and just coming up and, and he'd popped in to work out. I think this was before his last HBO special and he was running an hour in the original room and Mitzi's in the back watching and I'm watching her watch him. And that was an intense moment. Cause uh, you know, you're just like, w- like, what is she thinking? Like, what is she? And she was just smiling so big and, and laughing and just so proud. just like a proud mom, you know, um, seeing what Robin Williams had become obviously. And, and the, response he was uh eliciting and which i'm sure was the response he got when he started you know apparently that guy just came in like a fucking a force to be reckoned with and was just crushing all the time um but it it really i don't know i, I just wanted to talk about my experiences and and shit because i just it made me as i'm you know recounting all my times there in the 11 years that i've been doing stand-up how much time i've spent at the comedy store and how much it's done for me. How much it's meant for me. How many ups and downs I've had there, and, and I wanted to share those because I know that a lot of people have had similar experiences, and some people haven't. Some people want to, and some people have, uh, you know, not given themselves a chance to be around it and and uh, experience um, some of the the great highs and lows that Stand Up provides uh, if you stick with it. Um, but I just kind of wanted to share some of those experiences and really, um, I guess, uh, honor Mitzi and. and Recognizing what that place has meant to me, and um, and and how I just am so grateful for it. I don't know where I'd be without the Comedy Store, and I think a lot of people can attest to that. You know, I straight up don't know where I'd be. You know, <laughs> still working at Universal Studios Hollywood, maybe still being fucking fake Wolverine. Um, first time I ever went to the Comedy Store was two thousand three, my sophomore year of college at USC. I saw Dave Chappelle after the first season of Chappelle Show. And this was fucking crazy. It was the main room, sold out. We bought tickets like two weeks in advance. My buddies and I, Dave Strumpf and Jeremy Silver, we smoked a five-foot bong. And we went there and I was just like in awe. I'm mean, walking around the main room. David Schwimmer's there. Polly was there. I'd never seen Polly. I was just like starstruck. Jeff Richards was on SNL at the time, starstruck. Uh, and we just had amazing seats. And just like the feel of the, the main room was just so... Uh, magical for lack of a better word and like the lights and the the pre-show music and just the the chatter of people in the room talking before Chappelle came out it was like I remember feeling like I gotta be here someday like I gotta I gotta get up on that stage like I gotta figure out a way and this is you know I hadn't even started stand-up yet I'd maybe done a few open mics and in Seattle and a a few frat parties so enough to get a taste but still very scared like I don't have what it takes or I, I know what it takes and I, I don't have the, uh, the will to push through and, and commit to it, you know, for various reasons. But, but being at that show, I was like, God, this seems unbelievable. Like to be up there on that stage and then Chappelle crushes and, and we're outside just lingering around on the patio, which is another amazing part of the comedy store is just to hang, you know, and that's what people don't realize is how much happens before and after the shows between comics and, and, the conversations and relationships and fights and you know uh, um, you know uh, just the amount of conversations that are had. I mean like those walls probably could write a book that would change the course of history. All right. Well, that's a pretty bold statement, but it'd be an entertaining book. Um, And then uh, and then in 2007, when I, committed to stand up I was like I got to go back there like that's I remember getting that feeling at the main room and and I know that that's where everyone's at and the comedy store was not what it is now as far as being as electric and and busy and popular um but it was still very prestigious and very you know it just it carried the weight that it that it always has um once it became the comedy store you know and and such a staple of of you know culture and and uh comedy and so I was like I got to go do the open mics there. I got to get up. I just keep hearing from other people I knew that did stand up that this is the toughest room. The original room is the toughest room to do stand up in. So I got to go get on that open mic and I would sign up and I would get up and sometimes I wouldn't get up and sometimes I would get up and then uh get bumped super late because you know when people don't know you they just it's just so much of a waiting game and a trying to get that opportunity and then hope you make good on it and and the amount of times that I signed up and got bumped and never went up and waited for four or five hours or signed up and went on very at the very end after waiting for four or five hours, having to work the next morning at like 9 a.m., strap-on Wolverine claws, but waiting for four or five hours just to do three minutes to four people or less uh, only to just be so, uh, you know, just uh, distraught and depressed, I guess. I mean, just really discouraged because you're like, I waited so long, like, what am I doing? You know, but I remember waiting that long and being like, I don't, I want to make bet. you know, I wouldn't have the set that I wanted. And the hosts would, would comment on that. I remember it was Jeff Dennis and Ryan O'Neill and they commented on a handful of my open mic sets. I'm just how bad it was and how long I went. I think I ran the light one time and, and it was just so like, what am I doing? This is not fun. But then I would go home and it was like, I hated the feeling. And I was like, I got to I gotta fix that and be better, you know. And that's, I guess, when you figure out whether it's for you or not. When you just decide, like, this is bullshit. I don't want to. F- I gotta feel better than this, and I know I can do better. And I would just go, you know, every Sunday and Monday, and and sign up, and and that was just such a crapshoot, you know. And you just hope that you just the familiarity of your face around there starts to resonate, and you start to get on the list more and more, which would happen. And, uh, cause you know, Tommy and I think the comedy store respected the the hustle and the hang and they wanted you to be around and, and see that you were putting in the effort on top of being, getting funnier. And Tommy would slowly start to give me advice and say things to me and, and, you know, know my name and, and that was really cool. And, and that did start to make me feel like I was a little more comfortable there, you know? And then I started becoming friends with, uh, some of the guys that worked there, Tony Hinchcliffe and Matt Edgar, uh, and Jade and, um, catapretta and, and, and that helps too. Like, of course, like I mentioned earlier, like you just want to feel like you belong and that you, you know, it's the first day of school. If you don't know anybody, you're going to be just walking around with your head down. But if you can walk in knowing that you see one person and you go, okay, cool. I'm safe here for a few minutes. I can talk to Tony and Matt and we can, you know, and they'll, they'll make me feel like I'm supposed to be here. And people will see them talking to me and be like, okay, cool. That guy's, you know, whatever. Um, uh, even though that doesn't really, i think it's everyone's in their own head about you know being accepted there more so but but i get it because i have young comic buds now who just are like i can't go because i don't know anybody and it's like yeah I, i get that like but you just gotta not act like you've been there before but just walk with your head up and and say hello to people and introduce yourself you know that that goes a long way too which i definitely learned from from comics that were uh had been there and been paid regulars to try to embark advice somebody like that, like Brett Ernst and Bobby Lee. They're just like, you know, go say what up. Like, don't just sit in the corner and wait for people to come to you. You think these older comics are gonna just come over and be like, hey, are you an open micer? Like, you want to shoot the shit? It's like, no, you got to present yourself. But there's a balance with that because you know you don't want to act too arrogant or too uh, self assured. You know, you want to be humbled or humbling. Wait, humble. That's the word. Um but yeah not not getting up on those open mics and and I just really want to reiterate the the fucking the pain and the bummerness of just you know not getting up after 4 hours of waiting and and questioning everything you know the amount of times that I had that I just really want to stress that that is like a real thing and that everybody goes through that and at some point and it's just how, how do you bounce back from that? And what do you, what do you do about that? You know, cause I, I definitely wanted to quit and I di- I even convinced myself certain nights. I was like, I'm done. That was it. That was a waste of time. I don't want to waste my time. But then I was like, well, somebody else is going to do it tomorrow and take that spot then, you know, cause there's just somebody out there waiting. If you're not going to do the work, somebody else is. And, uh, and that's what got me back the next day. And, and then eventually, you know, you just you get seen, you get on more open mics. And I remember the first time Jeff Dennis and Ryan O'Neill, after months of doing the open mic and being shitty and then making fun of me, which just made me stronger. At first, I was so sensitive to it. I was like, it's so mean. Why would they ever told my mom they made fun of me after my shitty three minutes? And she's like, well, be better, you know, which was great advice. And uh, and then I remember the first time they complimented me and were like, "Yeah, just keep it going for Adam Ray, you know, "Yeah, very funny Adam Ray or whatever. And I was like, oh, shit, they didn't make fun of me they just said my name and said I was funny. And that was a big deal. You know, that was a big fucking deal. That was almost like being passed at the comedy store. I swear to God, like that was such a, a, an accepting moment of, Oh, I got better, you know? And these guys that are respected here and are paid regulars and run the open mic. Like they basically just said, I got, I'm funny. And that meant so much. And then, uh, and then I started to come around more, just being friends with, with more of the comics that work there. And then, uh, one night I was in the belly room doing a a bringer show that's the other thing too I was you know I went to USC for college and then in the acting classes and and improv classes and I worked at Universal Studios so I had so many groups of friends to bring out to shows and the bringer shows obviously that I did a lot through Vargas Mason and Kathy Lewis where you bring you know 10 to 15 20 people uh, and you get to go up and they would give me a good spot and and make money off my friends and give me time. And I got to do non open mics and get a taste of what a real show was like. And that was super imperative just to get a a bite of the, what it could be. And, uh, and Bobby Lee was on a show one night and he saw me and said, it was, was good. How come I've never seen you? I'm like, well, I'm not here as much as I should be. And he's like, if, and then he goes, if, if I brought you downstairs to Tommy right now, could you follow me in the original room and crush for 20 minutes? And I was like, uh, yeah, duh. I definitely could not. I probably could have done eight minutes. Great. I would have been so nervous. But you have to think you can. I in that moment I was like, Yeah, of course I like, like like say that you can. Like don't be like I'm not ready. Which, you know, I don't know what the move there is. You know, I think I think I trusted my instincts because I said yes and then Bobby took me downstairs and brought me right to Tommy. He said, Tommy, let this guy go up next and Tommy was like, Yeah, I've seen Adam. He's around every now and then. It's good, you gotta be around more though. You know, I'd see you on Sundays and Mondays, you gotta hang out more though, you gotta put in more of the time. Bobby was like, put him up right after me for 15 minutes. And Tommy was like, no, you know what? Just be around. We'll, I'll get you some more spots. I'll get you, just start coming in on this day. And instead of signing up, now Tommy would just put me up, you know? So instead of just signing up and waiting and maybe not getting up, now I was like officially going up because Bobby did that. So because I said, yeah, I can do it, Bobby took me down there, um, got me in with Tommy a little bit more, just kind of put his stamp of approval on me. And even though he wasn't going to put me up right there, which would have been crazy, uh, it just it gave me a little bit more of a, um, of a, of an inn and, and now I didn't have to, I could call in and, and I definitely go up Sunday and Monday instead of having to sign up and maybe not go up. And so that was huge. Um, So I'm glad that I told Bobby I could do it because if I said, no, I'm not ready, that would have been the end of that. And he wouldn't have brought me downstairs, you know? So I guess that worked out. Um, And then I started working there. And then Tommy suggested, if you want to be around more, start working, you know, you call in for belly room spots on Friday, you can go to La Jolla which I did the La Jolla comedy store for the first time with Deb Davidoff and Krista Lee and Brian Callen, uh, which was crazy, it's so fun, and uh, and you just get to call in, you get more opportunities, you know, um, being just around, you you know, and so I did the phones, uh, answered the phones on Fridays for about four or five hours, and would hit people up with their avails and and um, make the schedules, uh, or, I'm sorry, print them up and and answer just phones for any sort of uh, inquiry about the club. And that was great. It was a cool way to get to know more of the comics when they would call in. Sometimes I'd just have a thirty minute chat with Steve Byrne or uh David Tell would call in and Mitzi would call in sometimes and talk to her, which was crazy. Um and just it just made me feel a part of things more. It just made me feel like, oh, this place is now I'm like really now I'm 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 contributing I'm not just taking, you know, I'm 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 giving to this place. And I feel it just made it feel sweeter to get something out of it and to get you know, and it made me too just more appreciative of, of the spots that I would get, even at the Belly Room Friday. i know that I'd put in time, or and, and it made me want to hang out more because I was around there more. And I was like, I want to have a home. I think everybody, you know, it's, you know, think about middle school or high school. You just want to have a, a clique, you want to have some sort of a group to be attached to, and, and in any work environment, and as an, as an adult. and And so I just wanted to be there as much as I could and be a part of it and have it be as comfortable as it could be. And if I came into town and wanted to bring my parents by, they could, I could bring them in and they could get a free drink or they could get, just sit down in the back with me and not have, to. you know, and people would say, Hey, you know, you're Adam's mom, you know, and just get that type of uh, an experience. And that was really important to me. And, uh, and just knowing what that place had done, you know, I think you, you have a vague idea of what the comedy story is and what it's done for comedy and what Mitzi's created. And then once you really get there and you're around it, you know, and, and my buddy Sandy Danto worked for Polly and uh, opened for him and would work in the video room. And so I'd be doing phones and I'd go downstairs and Sandy would be in the video room editing so many clips, which I think they're now starting to post on their Instagram page. And Sandy would be going through all this footage and we'd just sit there and watch all these old tapes of all these old comics and old sets at the comedy store. And it was fucking insane. And you're just like, oh my God, this happened here. Like, what are we doing? And now we're kind of a part of this, you know? And then you see all the names on the wall and it just drives you even harder. You're like, I just want, like, that's the, you know, you put it up on a pedestal. You're like, that's the be all end all, which I want to encourage people to not look at it like that. Getting your name on the wall at the comic store. Yeah. That's an insane honor. And the names that we're up there with is, is crazy, but you know, it's everything in the middle. It's, it's everything that leads up to that or past that. And also your name on the wall doesn't define what your comedy career is going to be. And that's one of the things the comedy store has has taught me not just from the conversations and advice I've gotten from, you know, Bobby Lee or Sebastian Maniscalco or uh Mark Mayer and Whitney Cummings has given me great advice over the years. Um you know, it, it's you have to go through it. The comedy store there's no better blueprint for here's this place to to figure it out and to 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 try and to you know, there's no there's no rule book for for this shit. The stage is yours to you know, Jim Carrey used to say. I used to go up on stage with no material and Mitzi would say, I don't understand what you're doing, but go ahead. And then he said about a third of the stuff I came up with was great. And the poor audience had to sit through the other two thirds. And that's just what to me. Again, I don't want to generalize and say this for everybody, but but stand up and, and comedy. It's like you have to try and fail to figure out what it is you like, what the audience likes about you, and finding that balance and that blend and then just trying to, you know, explore it to heights and and, and avenues that uh, and, and push yourself, you know, I think that's why it is so great. It's why you see guys doing stand up and Don Rickle's doing it into his nineties because there's no there's no end point where you just go, I figured it out. I got as good as I could possibly be. And that's why you see Chappelle and Chris Rock and even Shamling towards the end of his life going up at the store. And still trying to just work on on the craft of their jokes and 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 get those reps in, you know, because you can't replace the work. That's why it's one of the the most just professions in the world. You can't replace the the getting up and the um the the give and take of the, the live audience. You you can't just sit at home and write. You got to get out there. And that's why, I, again, I have young comic friends and and some that are even about my age that are just not you know, and it's fine, not willing to. To put in that extra oomph, that extra like fire, and, and you know whether it's inside you, some people have it inside them, and they just are they, they they whether it's making excuses or liking their life a certain way, that's fine. But it's like, you know, the economy store isn't isn't to fuck around. You know, like you come there, you're putting in work. Like there's you're around so many energies and so much, uh, so many amazing talents and minds that are trying to like work on shit it's really if you can be around that and I think that's why a lot of people do like being around it so much like there's an invigorating force of of creativity that 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 rubs off on you you know even in the back of the comp there's the back bar like I've spent hours back there just hanging out having amazing comedy conversations and then also getting really fucked up smoking a joint with Dave Chappelle but but just picking people's brains and just living and breathing comedy and uh and, and it's always fun and it's always, I, I've never left the comedy store b- bummed out. You know what I'm saying? Like even in those early days and, and even in the, the first few days when I got passed as a paid regular, which was a huge deal for me. Because again, all those hours of signing up and not getting up or driving home and feeling shitty or getting made fun of by their comics that host the open mic or working the phones and not getting, and, and, and thinking I was further along than I was. That, every young comic goes through that. Wanting to be further along, wanting to be better than you are and thinking you're better. And you got to have that delusional confidence, and, and to think that you're you know worth worth it, and and to 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 keep pressing on. But um, you know, I think at some point it is good to step back and be like, all right, let me just enjoy the process of getting better, which is what Brett Earns told me. He's like, right, get funny. Things are gonna happen when they're supposed to happen. And I think acknowledging that so that you can take some of the pressure off yourself and have fun and and have fun conversations late night in the parking lot and smoke a J and. And pick the brain of Joe Rogan and and uh and Duncan Trussell and and, and Ari Shafir and not feel like you have to walk away from that being best friends with them, you know? But having those nights when I was so bummed and then to get past was a huge, huge deal and it was a big it was a big win. But it wasn't like I didn't think like here we go, now it's all over. You know, now I just start getting great spots at ten fifteen. I start following, you know, Sebastian going up before Crystal and Jeff Ross follows me, you know, it's like, you don't, nothing changes by one thing. You just, you know, for me, I think it's, you you just keep stacking the chips and you just keep getting as good as good and keep preparing yourself for those, for that next big opportunity. That's all you're doing by putting in all the work, constantly preparing yourself for the next big moment, you know, and whether it's a big moment or not, it's, you know, that's defined by, you know, sometimes outside, you know, uh, you know, aspects of the business. Um, but always being prepped, always being ready. You know what I'm saying? I feel like that's, that's that's what you can control. And I'm a big proponent of controlling what you can control. And, uh, but getting my name on the wall was huge. And I remember I definitely got choked up cause I, you know, you think about all the hard work you put in and what I, and what it took and, and how I was so, you know, you know, one foot in, one foot out with up, and had a long distance girlfriend. And I was, didn't want to do it because of that. I didn't want to ruin that. I, I knew I was sacrificing relationships and, friendships I missed out on a lot of birthday parties and just random nights of friends from college and acting class and work and just people that want to hang because I was like I once I committed I was like I gotta you know I, I would miss a birthday party because I would stay at the commie store and waiting to get up and then I remember not even getting up and then not going to the party and being like Jesus I didn't get either one of these tonight and telling my buddy he was like did you get up and I was like no nah. he's like well then why he's like what are you doing and I was like I, I don't know but I gotta do this like <laughs> this I'm I got this is the right like and then just convincing myself like this these are the steps, you know. It takes this. I have to get through the bullshit. There's gonna be ups and downs and highs and lows and and um but but finding that balance, you know, and and having a, a great the great hang, you know, because you have to enjoy what you're doing and and if it's all work and business, then why are you doing it? You know, it's gotta be fun. Gotta look forward to going to work. And uh and I did once I got past because uh now I got paid original room i was on the schedule you know and i was on these lineups that were dope and i could go early and watch all these people and just get a comedy class and watch these greats and just and and learn you know you do watch from learning i i definitely believe in that you know i know some people don't like to because they don't like to get influenced or soak up you know but we're all influenced by something in somebody we're all everybody comes from somebody else we're all just you know it's just it's just how it is. You look at anybody you love; they pulled from somebody else that they loved. They stole little things of, not material, but like stole you know mannerisms or whatever. Like we're all you know you mimic who you love when you start out too, and a, a piece of that stays in you, and then you just end up uh, finding you know your voice through that. Um, but but it was awesome to be on those lineups, and uh, and late I would get late spots for the first handful of years as a as a paid regular, twelve thirty and on to one thirty. Uh, to even 145, and 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 it was fine. At first, I was so pumped just to be on those lineups and to work out. And then again, after a while, I'd say a year or two of that, I was just like, all right, like maybe I could get an 1145 or a 12. You know. And then I remember when I got in in casting the movie The Heat, and that became a number one comedy over the summer. And people were telling me, dude, you got to get like an 11 or 1115. You're in a number one movie. You're in it. You know. And I start to buy into that hype a little bit, like, yeah, fucking, I should get some better spots. But I never said anything to Tommy. And somebody said, "You got to complain to him. You got to get in his ear. He doesn't know. He doesn't listen. He he responds to that." I'm like, "That's not my, that's not that's not my style." And I don't want to do that. I don't want to bark at somebody to get something. Like, I mean, again, like, there's a difference between being proactive and, and being an asshole. And and I think letting things happen organically. And uh, and not, but I. I just was like, if these are the spots I'm getting, I'm supposed to get these for a reason. 12, 45 and, and up. And that's when I would start fucking around with Jeff Scott and doing the music stuff. And that's where I found that as like an outlet and being like, all right, I'm going to use these late night spots for, for me. You know, and that's what Tommy would say. He's like, F- play, like figure, figure this out. People have seen 12 comics. Maybe they don't want to see just more jokes. And then I started bringing in costumes and doing like weird characters. I used to bring this goatee and this cowboy hat and this leather jacket and these tinted sunglasses and I would just tell old stories from the road as if I was like this old rock star roadie and just improvise stories uh, for like eight to ten people and then uh, Jeff Scott and I started doing the music thing and and that became a my thing you know nobody was doing that and it was cool and then Tommy would give me some early spots every now and then with that and, and just get to you know crush with it in front of a, a bigger audience that wasn't you know tired from being there all night. And that type of exploratory attitude was like, oh yeah, that's what this place is about. You know, that's why Tom used to say, Mitzi said it was an artist colony, you know, and you, 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 f- you use that stage for, for what it is you're trying to do and say. And, uh, which, you know, was Mitzi's plan with the whole thing. Also think of all the shows that have created, uh, careers and, and just more life at the store because of this, uh, you know artist quality colony, colony mentality, you know the roast battle and kill tony and and uh, uh the dance uh competition show, live podcasts uh and, and because of that too, the amount of people that are just coming to the comedy store like I've met four out of my five comedy heroes at the comedy store isn't that fucking bonkers? Jim Carrey? Uh, which I've told on the uh, podcast before, where he walked through. He was scouting talent for I'm Dying Up Here, and walked through the back bar and looked at me and goes, "Hey!" And I was like, "Hey!" hey. <laughs> uh, which is exactly what I wanted to say. Uh, also saw Adam Sandler at the main room for the first time. Just being around him again. Saw Robin Williams at the OR when he was working out for his HBO special. And I told that Larry David story of of him coming to the store to work out his SNL monologue and getting the hang with him and show him around the club. He hadn't been there in 37 years and sitting in the back of the original room and him watching comics and and being like, wow, I haven't been here in 37 years. I'm like, has anything changed? He's like, not really. No, pretty much all the same. And then uh, walking him to the OR, or I'm sorry, the main room. And and, uh, Pete Davidson uh, had had brought him to the the store. And uh, he was trying to decide whether or not to go up and just standing on the side watching. And then he was just like, I'm good. I'm not going to go up. This is too much. I was like, come on. He's like, nah, nah, he's nah, It's fucking, why would I go up? It's, it's too much. He's like, I get stressed out. Um, but just the fact that that happened and it was there, you know, and it's, and, I, and the timing, you know, me being there and, and, and performing and, and Larry choosing that to be the place that he goes up because he'd been there back in the day and, you know, 37 years ago. And he was like, this this feels comfortable. I haven't been there 37 years. Jim Carrey, when he went, hadn't been there in 20 some years. But they go back because there's just this familiarity and, and uh, you know, comedy uh, communion vibe that Mitzi created that, that makes people want to be there. You know, Eddie Murphy is always coming through um, to see shows sporadically. You know, everyone always hoping that he's going to go up, which uh, I've heard Neil Brennan talk about how every time he hangs out at his house him and Spell are pushing him to do it. And he's just like, man, I have 25 years of material to sift through. Like, it's just overwhelming, but, but who knows, you know, and if he did do it, it probably would be at the comedy store. Um, the people too, that I've met at the comedy store, you know, Brian McKnight, Gene Simmons, John Mayer, uh, the aforementioned comedy heroes of mine, uh, Nellie last week (laughs) sat next to Nellie after I got off stage and, he patted me on the shoulder and goes, "Hilarious, man!" And I just did a double take because I saw it was him. And then I looked at him and went, "Nelly!" And he was like, "Yeah, that's me." Fucking <laughs> just saying his name to his face, screaming it. That's what I wanted to do. Um, but again, it's just that unexpected. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, there's a raw, iranus uh, to the comedy store too. When you walk around, obviously they've refurbished a lot of stuff and and cleaned it up and with the staff and the the way the parking is now and and the patio and and security it's become a more professional establishment but it hasn't gotten you know um hasn't become corporate you know it's still it's still what Mitzi intended it to be and and you see that when you just walk up and down the hallways and you're in the in the room and you you see the lights and uh um and that's never going to change and i'm sure uh you know i'm sure she would love to, to to know that. And I'm sure she does know that, you know, Pauly's gonna, you know, she's doing a great job of, of just keeping uh, everything that she created alive. And, uh, and it's great that he's been around it so much to, to be a part of it this much and, and to care about it this much and to care about her this much and to care about comedy, you know, the way he does. And, you know, it's been his life uh, on stage and off. And, and um, so I think we're in good hands, but Anyway, that uh, those are just my thoughts. I wanted to share some comedy store experiences. You know, this was just a a, a really sad day, and um, not the end of a of comedy, but definitely the end of a of a an amazing um, life that changed changed the game. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. Like she is single handedly responsible for so many laughs, millions of laughs for for decades. And that is fucking bonkers to think about. Um, you know? There's probably even people that we don't even know that have performed at the comedy. You know, Care Top has probably been at the comedy store. You know? <laughs> you know? Rita Rudner. Sinbad's been there. Fucking, uh, you know? Who knows? Maybe Hillary Clinton's been there. Probably not, but who knows? But But probably not. Um... All right. Thanks for listening. Mitzi, rest in peace. I love you. Thank you for everything you've done and thank you for the opportunities. And, uh, and thanks for making comedy so cool. We're back on next week, uh, Monday, with a brand new episode. So, uh, so stay tuned. Have a good weekend. Seeking the truth never gets old.